Well, I'm so glad you're here on Mother's Day. And uh, you know, it's interesting. Do you know that Mother's Day is the largest attended day in most churches outside of Easter? And it's, it's interesting that that's the case because I think that so often we go, hey, we need to honor our mom by going to church. And uh, I know that many of you are like me. You had a mom that, um, my mom led me to Christ. And uh, my mom is in her 80s, and she's probably going to be mad at me for saying that today. But uh, uh, she's in her 80s, and, and uh, she continues to be an example that shows me how to walk with Jesus. And I'm grateful for this day. I'm grateful for my wife and what a blessing she is to our children and to me. And, and, uh, and this morning, we're, we're going to continue through the book of James. And it's a great message to look at in Mother's, on Mother's Day. Because how many of you, your mom said to you, y'all need to get along now? Anybody say that? Anybody's mom say that? Get along, you know? And uh, we have three kids. And my, I've heard my wife many times say, now y'all forgive each other and get along. And um, that's really what we're going to look at today. Isn't it interesting to me how, it's, it's interesting to me, uh, how we are drawn to a fight. Like when you're a kid in school and there's a fight, everybody circles up, right? Let's go watch the fight. When I, when I was in college, I, I was a sophomore in college at Southwestern Oklahoma State University. I was playing tennis. I was in the athletic dorm. And uh, we didn't have air conditioning in our dorm in Neff Hall. And so it was was kind of a um, warm day, so everybody had their windows open. And uh, my window was open. And and I hear this commotion and all these guys in the dorm yelling out their window. And I was like, what's going on? I look out, and there's these two probably fifth-grade boys that were in a fist fight. And they were just duking it out. And, and different guys in the dorm would pick sides, and they were cheering these guys on. They were like, get up, come on, hit him, and no, get him. And, and so they were hollering, and I thought, I got to break this up. So I leave the dorm, I go outside, I break up the fight. The whole dorm is like, my nickname was Wally back then. They were like, Wally, boo, oh, I can't believe you did that. And they were giving me a hard time for breaking up the fight. You know, sometimes fights are kid stuff. And honestly, in that situation, it, you know, they were probably, I think they left friends. They were like, oh, so where are we going to go? Let's go hang out. Um, It wasn't a big deal in that moment. But, you know, some fights are hurtful. You know, I constantly meet people that have been a part of a church fight that say, I don't go to church anymore because of that. Or I'm not going to go to church with those people because of that fight. And and you know what? We're titling this. If you have your notes, I'd love for you to pull those out because we're titling this message, Fix the Fight. And what I mean by that is, is that James is writing to his church. And basically he's saying, we got to fix this fighting problem that we have. Because sometimes... We, as believers, as followers of Christ, we don't act Christ-like. And in the, through the book of James, God is moving us to, to learn how to walk with Jesus every day of our lives. And this is what's amazing about this book. He's asking us to look at the heart of the matter. And we've called this every next step because we are called to move forward in our walk with Christ, in our steps with Christ. And, and this morning, as we look at James chapter 4, we're going to study verses 1 through 6 this week. We're going to kind of continue this next week, so I hope you come back. But um, uh, I, I want to I ask you, 
let's all of us, and I'm doing this too, let, let's think about the conflicts that we have had or maybe are having. And let's think about how we can apply what God is saying to us through the book of James as we study this passage. And it's a great passage to look at on Mother's Day because we've really got to learn to fix the fight. Because as believers, as followers of Christ, now that's who the audience is here in the book of James, there are, there are many times we don't act right, act right. There are many times that, that we have been some of those who have instigated the fights and we say we love Jesus. This is what James is confronting. This is how what we need to confront today. Would you stand with me and let's look at James chapter four. And we're gonna read verses one through six this morning. James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, uh, verses 1 and 2, he basically asked this question, what, what is causing fights and quarrels among you? What is it? Why, why do you fight? Why are you fighting? And obviously, James is pastoring his church, and he's looking at his congregation, and he's, he's dealing with this issue that we often deal with. He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So this is important because, you know, one of the reasons that we have fights in our home, we have fights in our church, we have fights in our life, is because there are passions that are at war within us. And that's why it's always good whenever you're in a conflict with somebody to stop and go, let's not blame them first, let's look and see what's going on in my own heart. Now, if we did that, that would stop a lot of our conflicts, honestly, because some, like what James is saying here, and God is saying to us, that, that a lot of times the, the reason for the fights that we have, it's because of a war within our own heart. And that's, we got to feel that. we got to embrace that. Verse 2 says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, conflicts develop when our wants become more important than they should, should be, Right? Now, the first thing I want us to do, if you have your notes, follow along. First point today is we've got to pinpoint the source of our conflict. And let's do that today. Let's pinpoint it. Because we see that, that desire, that, that he says, when your passions are at war within you, that's when there's conflict that comes up. Now, we've got to understand that we all have passions, we all have desires, and that's a normal part of life. And, and honestly, that can be a good thing because it's our passions and our desires that motivate us to accomplish things, to, to do our best and those things. But, but when those desires get out of control, there's conflict. 
Now we gotta see that, let's pinpoint this for a minute. That, that conflict develops when desires get out of control, right? When we have a desire that just runs wild. Now, now I want you to see this, that you know that God doesn't wanna make you miserable? God didn't come to make us miserable. He, he's given us the best plan for your life. And one of the best messages you can hear on Mother's Day is you ought to follow Jesus. He's got the best plan for your life. Follow him. 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, God made everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy him and enjoy life. Um, but, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But, but we also have to understand that God has put boundaries up Psalm 16, 5 and 6, an incredible verse to memorize, says, um, you, have made my, you have assigned my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. That God has put boundary lines up. And, and we live in this world, though, that, that loves to allow passions to get out of control. Now, the truth is... Um, we live in a world that is telling us that pleasure and comfort are the most important things. But can I tell you, that's not true. P pleasure is not the greatest thing you can do in your life. Because I want you to know, not everything in life is comfortable, right? There are a lot of things that we face that are not easy or not comfortable. But we live in a world that is telling us that pleasure is the most important thing you can do. And that should be the number one goal of your life. And there are many people, that's how they live. They live with, I, I, if it's not pleasurable, I'm not going to do it. Now, this is not new. This has been a historic uh, problem all through history. But, but we've got to understand that when pleasure becomes the number one goal of your life, you'll never be fulfilled. Because that's not life. And if that's your pursuit, you're going to always be wondering and wanting and needing more. And when a person falls in love with pleasure, he's going to end up making compromises and there's going to be conflict like crazy. Now, now, pleasure's fine as long as it doesn't become more important than it should. I want you to see that today. Now look at four, verse 2. James says, the, the reason you have conflicts among you, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Now, you want something, you want something to happen, I want something else. The end result in, is anger, right? If, if, if I want something that you don't want and we have con we're going to have conflict. Now, I want you to notice that word murder. You see that word? Now, before all of us get like, oh, good, I'm good. Because I have not had a desire so overwhelm me that it's caused me to kill anybody, right? Most of us would probably fall, be okay on that one, right? If you are, let's talk about it later maybe. Don't raise your hand. Um, but, but I want you to understand what the Bible, when the Bible talks about murder, remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, when you allow anger to get out of control, that it's like you're committing murder, because like Jesus always does, and like I think God's saying here, and James is saying this to his congregation, that, that the heart of the matter is murder. And, and he's like, you're so angry when your desires get out of control, when pleasure's your number one thing. And, and, and we, we can see this all the time. Let's think about sexual struggles that we see. You know, that's a desire that needs to be controlled. This is why I want to encourage you to memorize 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 8, 
But three through five says this, it is God's will that you are to avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. So when it comes to sexual desires, we understand that this is something that needs to be controlled. We need to learn to control ourselves. Same is true with like finances, for example. We live in a world that is telling us we're not going to be happy unless we have more stuff, right? And it's no reason, that it's not surprising that the Gallup poll says like 53% of marriages end in divorce over financial problems because, because we have this desire for more stuff and we have this conflict over the stuff that we are trying to buy and can't afford. And the truth is, We've got to learn to not allow our desires to get out of control because James is saying one of the reasons you're fighting so much is that you have desires that are out of control. Pay attention to that. Let's bring that, let's understand that we've got to bring that under control because desires out of control will never bring you happiness, ever. Now, verse, look at the second part of verse 2. He says, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. We see that conflicts develop when, when our desires get out of control, but we also see that conflicts develop when pride goes negative, right? We, we covet. We look at someone else, someone that has something that we want, and we say, I want that. Why do you have that and I don't? Well, we covet, so we fight and quarrel. Pride goes negative. And, and, you know, it's okay to have pride in your work or pride in your appearance. I mean, I'm glad we all took showers today. And, and you know, there's, it's okay to have a healthy pride. But, but when pride gets out of control, we tend to start thinking, hey, we can place ourself above God's control. God, you don't need to be in control of me. See, all through the book of James, he's teaching us the value of living your life with the Lord controlling you, submitting to the voice of God. You'll hear this all through Scripture. We see this, that, that, that when we place ourselves out of God's control, out from under God's control, we get in trouble. It's like the, the three-year-old boy, if you ever had one. You say to your three-year-old child, hey, don't leave the yard, right? Right? And what do they do? They get outside and they go to the edge of the yard. They go right up to the line and they see if anybody's looking. And then they step over the line and they look so cute doing it. But let me tell you, that cute thing is a little sinner, right? That's a cute little sinner that is trying to push the envelope and say, oh, I can, I can go. I mean, I don't need to be, we don't want to be under the control of anything, right? But we need to. And this is why we need the, to recognize that God has the best plan for us. God loves you. God's plan is better than your plan. And life is so much better when we recognize, Lord, we need to, to live under your authority. When pride gets out of control, it's, it's, it's bad. It, it, it's, we shouldn't place ourselves above God's control. Another thing about pride, it, it, when it goes negative, we tend to place ourselves above each other, right? We tend to think, oh, I'm more important than you. My, way, my, my idea is better than your idea. 
And we tend to let pride go negative by saying, look, I'm going to place myself above you. And, and, and we, we've got to learn not to do that. And this is James is saying, this is the reason you fight. It breaks my heart that I see people that, that have left the church because of a fight inside a church. Now, we're not perfect. And if you've been hurt by, by Christian people, by God's people, understand that we're a work in progress, that God's not finished with us. And there are many times that we don't act like we should. And, and there have been times that I've done that, and I've, I've, I, I want to repent of that. And I, and I think that's very important. We see Proverbs 13.10, it says this, pride only brings quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. You know, when, when the, the, the bottom line is when Christians fight and struggle, we need to, comp, we need to ask forgiveness. We need to, to, to surrender to the God's voice. We, we need to, to, to understand that the root of our arguments is often sin. And this is why we've got to be quick to repent, quick to hear God's voice. And it's so interesting as James walks through this challenge that he's facing, as he, as he looks at his congregation and says, I want you to know why you're fighting. It's your coveting. You have desires out of control. But he goes on. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3, you ask and receive. Oh, excuse me. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So he says, look, sometimes we, we, are, we are praying for the wrong things. Do you know that you can pray incorrectly? And one of the reasons that we fight sometimes and Christians fight is because we don't pray correctly. And this is something that we've got to learn to do. Point number two is important. We've got to learn to pray correctly. It's interesting because he says, you, you, you don't ask. Do you know that you can come close to God and you can ask him? You know, he longs for us. He calls us to talk to him and to communicate with him, to be close to him. You don't have to go through me as your pastor to connect with God. You can connect with God. In fact, that's how God, that's why Jesus came, so you could know that you can go close. You can be close to your creator. And this is so incredible. I love what 2 Timothy 3, 1, I've been thinking about this this week. I, I read this, and this is, this is in a part of a book that sometimes we overlook, part of Timothy. We, we, we tend to overlook something like this. But he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. And I love it that, that, that Paul is writing to Timothy and he makes this statement that I'm praying with a clear conscience. I'm praying and, I'm, and, and I've evaluated how I'm living. So often we, we don't pray correctly because we, we are, we're not evaluating where we are. Or what we're saying. Remember when Jesus was, was um, dealing with the Pharisees and he was really just mad at them. And he, these are the religious leaders. These are the guys that are, that are setting the example. They're so devout. They're so smart. They're, they're theological. Man, they, they've studied. They've got the Bible memorized. And Jesus points at them and says, see those guys? The way they pray, don't do it like that. And everybody's like, what? They're like the religious leaders. He's going, yeah, yeah. Don't do it like they do it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this. He says, he, he says, look, they're phony when they pray. 
that they get up and they, they, they're just using all these words and they're, 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 they're trying to be something they're not. But so often when we pray, it's these tapes. We don't really think about it. We just kind of like, well, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. I don't know if you pray that. It's not, let's not be phony when we pray. When you pray, don't be phony. You, you shouldn't come to the Lord in a phony way. And that's what Jesus told the Pharisees. And he, he, he talked about it. He pointed them out. He said, look, when they pray, they use all these words, and they, and, but they don't have any meaning. He said, when you pray, don't use meaningless words. Don't use these words that don't have any meaning for you. It's like on Mother's Day. I mean, you don't want to say to your mom something meaningless. I mean, I was in line with a whole bunch of people looking at all these different cards. And, and you know, there's a reason that everybody didn't just, maybe you did, maybe you just walked up, I'll get that blue one, I like the blue. Um, maybe you just picked out a card without reading it. But most people sit down and look at the card and say, is this what I want to say to my mom? So often we talk to God like that, meaningless. We don't think about it. And James is telling his church here, look, don't pray in a phony way. Don't say meaningless words. Don't pray with the wrong motives. Because that's what they were doing. They, they were praying for things that, that really didn't honor God. It was, it was praying according to their passions that were out of control. And, and God was, God's telling us, look, I, I'm not going to answer those. I'm not going to give you that answer. So it's important for us to hear that. That when we pray, sometimes we fight with one another in our families, in our churches, in our, in our work, in our lives. And really, you can trace it back to this heart of not connecting with God. And as a believer, we're better than that. As a follower of Christ, as someone who's been saved, as someone who trusted Christ, who's been impacted by the grace of God, we're better than that. And we should be. We should faithfully, we know what prayer is, is when we come close to the creator, when he moves us, when he leads us, he speaks to us. Now look at verse four. James is just picking a fight here. He says, he, he says you're an adulterous people. Look at that, you adulterous people. This is not like, oh, it's gonna be okay. You're good. That's not what James is doing. He's going, you're adulterous. You're an adulterous people, meaning that, that you are unfaithful. You're forsaking God himself. You have an idol in your life. And then he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And it's basically like if you are a friend of the world, if you look like the world, if you act like the world, you are making yourself an enemy of God. He says, therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is not God saying, I'm going to be your enemy. This is us saying, we are rebelling against God. We are going to become his enemy. We're going we're to stiff arm God. And his voice. And it's, it's interesting, when you, when you look at this in the Greek, he, it, it's this idea of, of, of a deliberate choice. 
It's this idea of, of premeditation. I am going to plan out how I can rebel against God's voice. And can I tell you, that is never going to be a practice that will work out for you. And then there's not a greater day on a day that we come to church. Maybe some of you haven't been in a long time. And, and, but can I tell you that God loves you? And, and, and his, his plan is the best plan for you. Trust him today. Verse 5, it's interesting. It talks about how God loves us. He goes, or do you not suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Let's think about this, that, that this is one of those passages that says God is jealous for us. Now, a lot of times we think about that negatively. We see jealousy as negative, but it's not always negative. You know, when you're, when, when, when you, God can't sin, right? We know that. And it says that he is jealous over us. That when, when you're jealous, you're going to protect, you're going to intercede, you're going to, you're going to confront opposition, Right? When you're jealous over something, that's, that's the positive side of jealousy. See, God is, is jealous for you. He calls us to make sure he's the only Lord, only God that we worship. Now look at this. He says, um, he yearns jealously, jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. You see, this is believers if you are a follower of Christ this morning in our first service, we had three, three baptisms. And, and you know, uh, as they were baptized, they, uh, they, they were talking, I said to two of them, I said, you know, the spirit of Christ is inside of you. And that's what happens when we're saved. The spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. It dwells inside of us. And James is saying to his, these people that are fighting and struggling with one another, he's like, look, the Spirit of God is inside of you. Listen to him. Listen to his voice. And don't be a friend of the world. Don't look like the world. Don't make yourself an enemy of God. Don't pursue something that's not going to last that's a great message on Mother's Day. I'm so grateful that I had a mom that pushed me and taught me, Chris, you can trust in Jesus. You can trust him. And can I tell you today, if you had a mom that taught you that, can I just be another voice in your life to tell you that she was right? That you can trust in Jesus that a lot of the source of our conflicts in our life, a lot of the source of the pain in our life is when we turn away from Christ and we pursue some other desire. So can I just be in front of you today on this incredible Mother's Day to say, come back to Jesus. You'll never regret it, ever. And he, and he goes on, look at verse six. It's so amazing. He says, in spite of this, in spite of this fighting, in spite of this struggle, in spite of this decision to rebel against Christ and to become a friend of the world, look at verse 6. He says, but he gives more grace. Now think about that for a second. God gives more grace. I, I am grateful for the grace of God. The forgiveness of Christ has completely transformed my life. 
because I am the I am one person in this room that is unworthy to stand up here and preach the preach to you, preach with you, because I failed in my life. But see, Christ has forgiven me. He's made me worthy. He's made me worth something. And the grace of God is, is incredible. You know, when, when you look at the, there are several definitions of grace, but in this verse, I, I see it this way, that God's grace, gr- grace is God's way of empowering us with the desire and the ability to do his will. And this is what God does for his people, that he always gives us, he, he moves us to the desire to do his will, and he gives us the ability to follow him. I love that about God. Like Jude 24, it says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And I'm so grateful that God calls me to follow him and then gives me the strength to do it. It's just like these these girls that were baptized today, I said, are you nervous? They're like, yeah, I'm nervous. I, I mean, Maya looked at me and said, I'm pretty nervous. And I said, you know what, Maya, God's going to give you the strength to do it, to follow him. And you know what? She boldly walked out and was baptized today. You know, God gives you the strength to follow him. And when it comes to this quarreling and fighting, I want you to know God will give you the strength to stop doing that. And And God's grace is so incredible. He says, therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Then when it comes to those that are saying, God, I'm too prideful to turn to you, God opposes them. And I want you to know you do not want to live your life with God opposing you. And don't be an enemy of God. But what what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. You know, when we're filled with ourselves, God resists us. But when we humble ourselves, he gives us this desire. He gives us this this ability to follow him. And so my prayer for you today, let's humble ourselves. Most of the reasons we fight in church, most of the reasons that we fight in, in our families, in our lives, is we just don't humble ourselves. We've got to hear that today. And, and I, want to, I want to show you point number three. It's what God's grace does for us. That, that God's grace gives us, helps us develop this habit of humility. And this is something I pray we hear today and we embrace today, that we humble ourselves to God, that, that we, we go to him for help. And when we do, that's humbling. When we we go to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I need you to help me today. That's humbling. And I want to challenge you that that you don't want to ever do anything different in your life. Every day we need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you today. I humble myself to you in front of you today. I, I, I give you control today. That's humbling. But so often we have this desire that, that we want to follow after the world. But that doesn't work. I want you to know that if you follow, if you live your life rebelling against God, it will not work. 
I want you to see what 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, look at this, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And look what he says about it. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And can I tell you, God has laid out this plan in Scripture that works. Following Jesus works in your life. You're not, I'm not saying that you're going you're to always be comfortable or it's always going to be easier. You're not going to face difficult times. We will. But I'll tell you that, that fights and quarrels often come because we move away from God and his plan for our lives. And this is why I pray that, that we recognize that that satisfaction that, that you're looking for is not found in what the world has to offer. But there is this creator, this hope that, that, that God is longing for you to experience in your life, this help that, that God wants you to experience. And, and it comes from a father who knows you, from, from a creator who made you, who loves you, who died for you who rose from the dead with you in mind. And you know what's amazing? He's pursuing you right now. It's amazing to me that God loves me so much that he pursues me. He pursues you. And, and I pray that we stop fighting I'm grateful for the peace in our church because we have peace in our church. But I'll tell you, this is something that we always have to fight for. If we're gonna fight for anything, let's fight for the peace of our church, of our families. And that happens when we humble ourselves. When we say, God, we are submitting to your voice to you. And that, that, that begins with, with us recognizing our need. There, there's a book that I, I want to challenge you to read. If you've not read it, you should go buy it this, today. You should buy it on Amazon today. It's called Mere Christianity. It's by a guy named C.S. Lewis. He was very smart. He's dead now. He's a lot smarter now. But, um, but God used him to write this book, Mere Christianity, among others. But I want you to hear what he said in Mere Christianity. I've got it on the screen here. He says, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I, I can, I think, tell him the first step. And he's British. I can't do it with a British accent. I've got an Oklahoma accent. That's the best I can do. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least... Nothing, whatever can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. And see, following Jesus begins the moment you say, Jesus, I need you. Is that where you are?
want you to know that's where you need to be. That's where we all need to be. Is saying, Lord, we need you today. And so would you come to him? Would you allow the Lord to bring peace to your conflicts, peace to your life, hope to your future? Trust him today. You know, we're going to have an invitation, and, and I love them. I love them because we're, we're called to move. We're supposed to move. I don't know how God has spoken to you today, but if you need, if you need Christ, don't go one more day without him. If you, um, maybe, maybe you found and discovered today in this moment that you have, have a conflict you haven't dealt with. Maybe as we sing in this invitation, you need to get your phone out and send a text. Hey, let's get together. We gotta work some things out. I'm sorry. You know, the Bible says that before you come to the altar, you should be right with your brother. So maybe, maybe you need to leave and go make a phone call to mom or someone. Sorry. Um, don't miss the joy of moving when God tells you to move. And I'll tell you, if, if we can move every time God tells us to move, you talk about the most incredible life you could ever imagine. You trust him. You allow him to move you. You'll never regret it. Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus.